Matthew 22. We're going to read verses 34 through 40. Jesus has been having a few conversations with some people. They've been asking him some questions, kind of trying to trip him up on some stuff. And we pick up the third in the, the, the third conversation of three consecutive conversations in Matthew 22. Verse 34 says this, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second, freebie here, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We've been doing a series that we're finishing up this morning called Five Rooms. As the summer has come to an end and fall has started, we've been talking a lot about church here in church. Talking about it. We did a series called The Church God Builds. We don't just want to be Antioch Indy. We want to be the people that God is building in the earth. Amen? And this series, Five Rooms, has been about that the house of God, the house that God builds, isn't just made up of one room. We talk about how usually when we think about church, we think about this room right here. This is a, a great room. It's an important room, but it's not the whole thing. And sometimes we get disappointed with church, and it's not because church didn't do what church was supposed to do. It's maybe because we expected one room to be more than it was. And there's five rooms to the house of God. And we've been talking about our five core values as a church that make us the church that God's calling us to be. Number one was personal devotion. We have to be individuals personally devoted to Jesus. We talked about making disciples. We talked about meeting house to house and how we do life group. Last week, we talked about our corporate gatherings, who we are as a people together in the culture that we have. And this morning, our final core value, the fifth room of the house, write it at the top of your notes. Number five, living on mission. Living on mission. That's a super churchy phrase, so don't you dare check out. Like, I heard this before. We've been talking about in this series, nothing's all that crazy. It's all pretty basic, because if we did the basics, we would change the world. Amen? I don't know about you, if you've been around here, but you've probably heard a lot of my story before. But I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I was involved in church. I pretty much have always believed that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died to take away our sins and, and, and forgive our sins. But by the time I was heading off to college, I, I had done all of these things. I had believed these things, but I still wasn't all that sure about what this system of beliefs really had to do with my day-to-day -day life. And, and really then, for that matter, uh, what, really what it had to do for, with anybody else's day-to-day -day life. I figured this would probably matter someday when I grow up, whenever that is, right? Like, anybody found that part, like that line that you cross, oh, finally grown up. Still looking for it. I didn't really understand what this set of beliefs had to do with, with the, the, the day in and the day out. I had, I had a Bible, and I had read most of it over the course of my life, if not all of it. I had been involved in church. I had done some things that, you know, were sort of bad, but not that many people knew about it. And, like, it wasn't nearly as bad as, like, some people who didn't call themselves Christians, right? Like, some sort of bad stuff, but not that bad. I was at the point where what I had known wasn't enough. It wasn't enough anymore. It needed to matter more. And again, you've heard me share some of this before, but I remember going to church for the first Wednesday night as a freshman in college at Baylor University and hearing a pastor give a message that Jesus offers us adventure and intimacy beyond our wildest dreams. I don't remember anything else he said in that sermon. I don't really remember anything he preached, but I remember that's what he was saying. 
And as I look back on that night, listening to that message, I, I remember two things. That, that, that he said, Jesus offers us adventure and intimacy beyond our wildest dreams. And I remember sitting there, and it was like Jesus was on stage, and he's just pointing, saying, like, this is my best friend. you got to know him. And I was captivated by this. And, and the second thing I remember is having this honest, deep question in my heart. Since when? Like I, like I said, I've, I've pretty much read this whole thing. Adventure and intimacy, like, isn't that like two of the deepest longings of every human being? And you're telling me this Jesus that I've read about, that I've been in school talking about, that I've been in church, and my family, that like I know about, is the satisfaction of those two things since, since when? Like, I've been to church more than most people. <laughs> I've done some God stuff more than, more than a lot of people at that point. And I wasn't exactly sold out for this stuff, but I'd like, you know sort of in since when see all I understood at that time of my life was that Jesus dying on the cross for my sins and raising again on the third day all I understood was that that was about some destination that that, that I thought that that all that that meant for me was that I would get to go to heaven someday when I die and, and that's awesome that is true and that's a big deal amen praise the Lord anybody anybody thankful for that part that's a big deal, but it's all I understood. All I understood was, was the destination. And when salvation was only a destination, the relevance of it all was lost on me in the in-between. I didn't understand something that has become something that we say all the time around here. Salvation isn't just a destination, it's an invitation. Your, your mission, we talk about living on mission. The mission of your life as a, as a Christian is not just to pray a prayer and then hold on till you get to heaven someday. Hopefully things are okay between now and then. Jesus says that we are born again. We are filled by the Holy Spirit so that we can live on a mission, so that we can live this life that we have left with a purpose, so that we can be commissioned and drafted and adopted onto the team to have a purpose in this life that we are living. We get to contribute and get something done while we're still here. Somehow that idea of living on mission, this idea that, that God would draft us into a task, that he would have something for us to do, that now that we are saved, we have been given something to be a part of, that something might even, dare I say, be expected of us, <laughs> has gotten a reputation that's like a bad reputation. That this, that this charge to live for something is somehow legalistic, is, is somehow unloving. If, if God's so loving, if God loves me, like, why would I ever have to, like, do something? Like, isn't that sort of, like, performance-based acceptance and, like, you know, bleh? <laughs> Not, like, mean and stuff? How could he? Leading up to this bit that we just read in Matthew 22... Jesus has been having some conversations with some people. They have been challenging him and asking him some questions to figure out what he is all about. And the questions that they ask are really shaped with the purpose of trying to see if Jesus will be about what they're about. They're not coming and saying, I want to be about what you're about. They're testing Jesus. I may accept you. I may not. Depends if you're about the things I'm about. What's the mission, Jesus? Is it my mission? If it is, we're cool, but I got to check. I need to test this out. 
So Jesus is having these conversations. And we're not going to go read them all in, but we'll just do a quick overview. The, the first one is some, some politically motivated people. They come and they ask Jesus this political question about taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And, they, and Jesus said, the first thing he says is, you're hypocrites. And you're like, whoa, that was not an answer to the question. Like, <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I see what's going on here. Like, you're, you're not really asking what I think. You're asking to see if I think what you think. And that's not how this is going to go. And what he essentially says is, you're really worried about Caesar, but God's actually worried about you. So if it's got Caesar's face on it, just give it back to him. He must have dropped it. By the way, whose image do you carry? Right? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. You know what is Caesar's because it has his face and inscription on it. Whose face and inscription is on you? Let's talk about you. Some religiously motivated people come and they ask Jesus sort of this denominationally loaded question uh, that would make sense. We're not going to dive into it. But they, they, they ask him about something that they don't even believe and they present the question as if to say, like, some people believe this stuff. Like, that's crazy, right? And uh, first thing he says is, you're wrong. <laughs> and they're like, again, not an answer to the question. <laughs> These religiously motivated ask him this, motivated people ask him a denominationally motivated question. And Jesus in his answer, he makes it clear to them that his mission is way bigger than their religious categories. He says, I'm not going to play the game. <laughs> it's bigger than that. My mission is bigger than you being right. And then finally, we pick up the third story. This kind of, we'll say, behavioral motivated person. This this Pharisee who uh, was stuck to the law, he's a lawyer himself, he comes and he asks a question about the law. He asks this question about behavior. He kind of asks him this legalistic question. What's, if there's one thing I have to do to check the box, what's the one thing that I have to do? I may not be able to do everything, but at least I can do the best thing and be better than everybody else, right? Jesus, in his answer, makes it very clear that his mission is way deeper than checking a box so that you're good to go. Jesus says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And then he throws, like we said, kind of a freebie in there. They only ask for one, but he's like, well, let's throw a second one in there because it's basically just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you're not doing this second one, it's probably a good sign you're not doing the first one. So we'll just lump them in together. Love your God with all your heart, with all your heart, with, with all your desire. Anybody have a heart? You know what I'm talking about? Like, love God with all your heart, with all of your desire, with all your soul, with, with, with all your passion. Love God. And with all your mind, with all your thoughts, love your God. Love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he wraps up this dialogue with a sentence that's probably the easiest thing to glance over in all of it, but it's kind of a big deal. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's a bold statement. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a lot of history with law and prophets. Like that's, We'll just leave it there. For him to say these two things summarize all the law and all the prophets is like, 
thousands of years of like scripture and hundreds of it's a big deal this is it guys and it's huge and we can't glance over this because Jesus has like given us a really nice help here I'm thankful he simplified things anybody else simple in the room this morning just touch your neighbor and say you're simple let's keep it simple Jesus is, Jesus is giving us what he's saying in verse 40 that we can't miss. Is he is saying, these two things that I've just given you, these, this is the lens through which you can read the whole Bible. This is the lens. If you want to know how to read the Bible, put those glasses on. Love God, love your neighbor, read it. That's what it's all saying. He said everything, everything that God says to you, everything God leads you to in your life, everything God is doing in your life is moving you forward in these two things. This is the lens through which you interpret God, the, your life, the world you live in, the things that you're working on, the decisions you have to go through. This is it. God, what are you calling me to Love God, love people. That's the lens. That's how we read the Bible. That's how we interpret everything going on around us. It's the best Bible study tool we could ever get. And you just got it. Okay, so at face value, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Especially for church people, pretty cliche. Am I right? Like we've said through a lot of these messages, it's like, ah, good pastor, got it, give me the meat. You know, like, oh, talk about the deep stuff. I know that. That's pretty basic. But what if it's not? What if it's not cliche? What, what if it's not just like put it on a bumper sticker and move on to the deep stuff of the Lord? What if it's bigger than that? What if Jesus is right that everything hinges on these two things? What if he's right? What if everything about the mission of God is right here? The whole thing. I mean, isn't, isn't Jesus really hitting on something here? Like, isn't your heart, isn't your soul, isn't your mind, aren't you at the core of who you are looking for something or someone to love with everything that you are? Isn't he hitting on something in here? Isn't this like what every good story is about? Isn't this like hardwired into every single one of us as human beings? Aren't we looking for this? hearts are looking for something. Our hearts, they're looking for something. Something to love, something to capture our affections. Something to, to set our desire on. We're looking for something. Something that sets our desire on fire. Our, our souls, they're looking for something. Everybody's looking for a passion to burn for. Everybody's Looking for something, a fire that drives me and gets me out of bed in the morning. Something in my soul I can obsess with, with everything that I am. Our minds are searching. Our minds are searching for something, something that we can be fixed on. In the waves, in the ups, and the downs, and the circles, and the lefts, and the rights, something to fix on. Our minds are looking for something to, to anchor to, something to be shaped by. Our minds are looking for something that we can continually search and explore and continually and endlessly discover. Isn't this what we're looking for? 
I remember learning that part of the good news is that I'm allowed to want God. I thought I just had to like agree or something and then try to do better. <laughs> you can want God. That's what Jesus is saying. Like you're allowed to want God with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. You are allowed to just like, I want that. It's good news. It's good news. What Jesus is saying, there is good news that, that this life that you are now living, once you are born again and filled with the Spirit, you're not, are, you're not hanging on until you hopefully just kind of make it to heaven one day. It's an invitation. It's an invitation from God that you can know Him and, as much as you want to. You're allowed to know God as much as you want to know Him. You are allowed to participate in the things of God as much as you want to. You are allowed to be fueled by a desire for God, not just be fueled by some obligation. You are, you are allowed to be driven by passion, not just driven by upholding some religious system. You are allowed to think about him deeply and not just know him in elementary ways. You are allowed to want God, to love him with everything that you are. Everywhere you're looking, everywhere I'm looking, we're being sold a lie. We're being sold a lie that the, everything we're looking for in life is found inside yourself and revolves around yourself. Come on now. It's like Jesus knew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's everybody selling you? Follow your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Just find your passion. Search yourself. And with all your mind, just let that thing free. Go with wherever it takes you. Chase whatever rabbit it leads you on. Unbridle your mind. And love your neighbor. And everyone just else just says, now the key is just love yourself. Jesus steps in. To your world. I really wish this Bible had something relevant to say to our daily life. I just wish this wasn't so old and ancient and outdated. Jesus steps into your life, into your world, into your heart, into your soul, into your mind. And he makes it clear. The greatest thing you can do. The adventure that you're looking for, the intimacy that you're looking for, the greatest mission you can live for is to fix your being on loving your God. And he will satisfy your heart. He will satisfy your soul. He will satisfy your mind and he will completely change the way you love both your neighbor and the way you love yourself. And this is the transformation of abundant life. The mission that God has for you is to love him. Just with all of you. <laughs> okay. That's great. And we've heard a lot of that before, at least seen it on a bumper sticker, like I said, but what keeps us from doing this? You know, I would say that most of the time when we talk about living on mission, being a people that live on mission for God, most of the time, most of us don't think we can do that. That sounds great. I would love to, but I can't. I can't do that. And, we, and we've got some good reasons why we can't. 
some reasons why we don't think we can really be a part of what God is doing. We think if God wants to use me, I need to be someone I'm not. I would love to, but that's going to take me being somebody I'm not. So let's talk about it. Jesus never demands that you become someone you are not. He only empowers you to be who you really are. That's really important. <laughs> like, you are not who your heart and your soul and your mind say you are. Come on, Jesus. He's not asking you to deny who you are. He's empowering you to be who you actually are. He says that by his grace and through the Holy Spirit, we are born again. We are a new creation. The old passes away. The new comes. And so when we read something about the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, I think I hit them all. He's not asking you to be a kind person. God's not asking you to be more of a kind person, more of a self-controlled person. He's asking you to be a possessed person. It's not the fruit of a Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He says, let me fill you and empower you to just let me leak out of you. I'm not really asking you to do it. <laughs> you just get possessed and let me do what I do. He wants the whole thing. Love him with your whole self. You don't have to be somebody you're not. He's just empowering you to be who you really are. We think I need to have something I don't have to really be a part of the mission of God. If I was really going to do I want to, but, but I'm, just, I'm missing some things. I need something that I, that I don't have. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus is only concerned, is, or Jesus is not nearly as concerned with what you don't have as you are. When Jesus calls you to do something, he's not scared by the list that you provide him of all the things that you don't have that you think you need to have to do the thing he's asking you to do. You do not come to God and say, yeah, but I don't, I don't have all this. And he's like, ah, oh, shoot, if I would have known that. I wouldn't have. When Jesus calls you into something, he's never asking you to get it done using something you don't have. He's always just asking you to work with what you do have. It seems to me, as far as I can call to mind, any time in the Bible that someone tried to remind God of what they didn't have, he tried to remind them of what they did have. He doesn't ask you to move mountains with mountain-sized faith. Just use the mustard-sized faith you've got. He's not asking you to feed 5,000 people with 5,000 meals. Just use the five loaves and the two fish you do have. When you don't have what you think you need to do, what God is calling you to do, by all means, tell God all about it. Go to him in prayer. Meet with the Lord. Pour out your heart. Pour out your burden. Pour out your concerns. But don't necessarily expect him to do anything about it. He might. But he might not. But he will definitely remind you of what you do have. We think I need to be somewhere I can't be. If I'm going to be a part of the mission of God. I need to be in a position that I'm not in. I need to be in a geographical location that I'm not in. I need to be in a circumstance that I'm not in. If God would put me there, I would be on mission. I mean, if you've read the Great Commission, like it says it right there, right? Go make disciples of all nations. Well, I'm just stuck here. 
I got a job. I've got a life. I've got family. I've got this. I've got that. Like, I would love to go to all nations, but I can't go to all nations. I'm just stuck right here. That word nations, though, in Matthew 28, 19, it basically just means a group of people. It's not necessarily talking about uh, groups of people in other sovereign nations. It just means people. Go make disciples of all groups of people. See, the best way for you to know who you're called to, who you're called to reach in this world, the best way to know is look around. Who do you see? Might be who you're called to. Like, maybe God has you where you are actually on purpose. In Acts chapter 2, when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that they start speaking in all these different languages. It's a crazy story in Acts chapter 2. We talk about it a lot around here, but the Holy Spirit comes, and basically the whole city gathers around this house where there's this big rushing wind sound, and it looks like they have fire on their heads, and all these people who don't know other languages are all of a sudden speaking other languages. And Acts chapter 2 gives us the setting. It talks about what's happening here, uh, who's there, who's around the house. It says they're speaking in all these different languages, and there's all these different nationalities that are in Jerusalem at the time. And some of them that are listed, not that, well, you probably know more about it than I do, I don't know. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, all, and all these other places. There's like all of these people. In Jerusalem, and they all come to this house, and they all hear the gospel being preached in their own language. Now, I was thinking about this, and this might be oversimplifying this too much, and if so, please forgive me, but how do you think the disciples knew which one of them was supposed to reach the Phrygians? My guess is they looked around and said, well, who's got all the Phrygians standing around him, and he's speaking Phrygian? <laughs> Probably that guy. He's probably the, the Phrygian missionary guy. So how do you know who God might call to reach your family? Maybe it's the Christian who's full of the Holy Spirit, who's around your family and knows how to speak the language of your family. How, 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 how are you going to know who God is sending to reach the other business owners in our city? It might be. The Christian business owner who's full of the Holy Spirit, who speaks business, who's around all these other business owners. Who's going to reach all the other moms? Maybe the mom who has Jesus and the Holy Spirit and knows how to speak mom and is around moms a lot. Who's going to reach my roommate? Who's going to reach my classmates? Who's going to reach my clients? Who? God sends somebody. Done. You might not be somewhere you aren't, but you definitely are where you are. The real question that we have to ask when we consider this call to live on mission and be a people that live on this mission that God has given us, the real question that we have to deal with is do we really want to do it? It's really simple. It's really possible. But that doesn't mean it's really easy. Verse 40, Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Greek word in the original language that's translated depend there in verse 40, it's used a handful of other times throughout the New Testament. And every other time it's translated not depend, it's translated hang. That's what he's saying. All these things hang. They hang on these two things. 
It's used six other times, and four of the six other times that this word hang is used is talking about Jesus hanging on a cross. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus is teaching. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love my neighbor as myself. It might make a great plaque in your house, but it has serious implications for your life. It has serious implications on the way that, if I'm going to do that on the way I'm going to spend my time, that has serious implications about the way that I'm going to treat other people and treat myself compared to those other people. That has serious implications about what I do with my money, about what I do with my ambition, about if I'm going to love God with my heart, my soul, and my mind, and all of my heart, and all of my soul, and all of my mind, it has serious implications on what I do with my heart, with my soul, and with my mind. It has serious implications on the things that I want in life. It has serious implications on the things I'm passionate about in life. It has serious implications on the things that I think about, on the things that I let into my mind, the choices that I make. This is going to have some serious implications. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to hang on these things. I need to hang my life on these two things. If I'm honest with myself, I know that when I'm not living the mission of God, it's because I really don't want to. Like I'd rather focus my heart or my soul or my mind on something else. Just for a second at least. You know? I'd rather prioritize myself over you. Just me and my wife? Okay, cool. You never do that? All right, I'll just preach to us then. When I'm not doing it, it's not because I don't know what it is. It's not because I can't do it. Because I don't want to. And my want to comes down to believing one thing that I want to leave you with this morning. If we're going to be a people that live on mission, if we're going to be individuals that live on mission, we've got to believe something. We don't need to get the politics right. We don't need to get the religion right. We don't need to get the law right. We've got to get this one belief right. It hangs on this. Following God may be costly, but do I believe it's worth it? And do I believe it's everything that I want? Let's stand and close. We're going to worship. And we like to leave a couple minutes here to respond to the word of God. And I uh, think that it's right that we deal with this question. I know I need to deal with it. Lord, is there any area in my heart, in my soul, in my mind? Is, this, is there an area in the way that I am seeing other people and treating other people that I'm holding back from what you've called me to? Is there anything that I'm holding back? And, and where, where, Holy Spirit, can you come in and shape my belief? That if I'll go with what you're saying, it might be costly in the moment, but help me believe that it's going to be worth it. 
and it's actually the way to everything I want. If you're doing this because of obligation, it's not only going to last you so long. But love will motivate you to the end. And Jesus says, this is it. I'm not asking you to run around like a chicken with your head cut off and impress all these sort of people and live up to all these labels. Just love me. Love me with everything. Love me with everything you are. And trust that that is everything that you need. We're going to have our prayer team up here at the front. If you want prayer as we worship, if you just need prayer for anything in your life, come on up. If you need a miracle, if you need to respond, if you need anything going on. And always, we, we always take a minute to be really clear. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus, if we're talking about this salvation and you are saying, I, I don't know that I'm right with God. I, if, if you're walking out of this room unsure, if you've been born again, there's no need to walk out unsure. Today can be your day to give your life to Jesus. All it costs you is everything. But it just might be worth it. And it just might be everything that you're looking for. If that's you this morning, please don't leave without talking with somebody either. Maybe you came with somebody, you can talk with them. If you don't have anybody to talk to, please come up and talk to somebody on our prayer team. Love to answer any questions, move you forward in your time with Jesus. Because today's a good day to be born again and made completely new. Anybody ever been born again and it was a good choice? Amen. Amen. For the rest of us, let's let the Holy Spirit come in and say, God, move me. Move me forward in the mission of God. Move me forward in my commitment to give everything on the altar. Give my heart. I give my soul. I give my mind. And I give myself to you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. And we're inviting you now, Holy Spirit. Move every single one of us forward in the step that we have to take. We recognize that we all have a step to take right now in the presence of God. So move us. Thank you for the invitation right now, God. Let us be a people that accept this invitation. You are worth it. 